if we look over, you know, the last several decades, in addition to increasing costs of higher education, there's been dwindling federal and state-level support for public education at the high school level and at the college level. So this all works together to make a lot of pressure in the system and how we are really going to, as a country, come to terms with uh, making accessible to our full country the highest quality higher education that is a 21st century pressing problem for our country, and I'm eager to be part of it. Learn more from Elizabeth Bradley, president of Vassar College, about diversity, inclusivity, and interdisciplinary higher education in just a moment. Hello, and welcome to Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we have been interviewing politicians, activists, advocates, and others since 2016 with the intention of ennobling public service creating a platform for positive civil discourse, and facilitating dialogue with difference. This show is the antidote for those who are tired of hearing about what's going wrong with the world. We showcase people just like you who are working to leave the world better than they found it. And that's good news. And now a word from former President John F. Kennedy with his views on public service. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I'll remind you that this show is made possible by viewers like you. If you appreciate what we're doing here at Public Interest Podcast and enjoy this episode, please contribute $1 at publicinterestpodcast.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. We're here today with Elizabeth Bradley, the president of Vassar College and the founder of the Yale Global Health Leadership Institute. Elizabeth is the author of three books and over 300 peer-reviewed papers and is a member of the National Academy of Medicine. Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Very well, and thank you, Jordan. Great. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. The first question I'd like to pose to you is, what are you currently doing, or what have you ever done to advance the public interest, and why? I think one of the most important pieces of the public interest that I'm very eager to advance uh, is how we really contribute to higher education in our country. How is it formatted? How do we think about building young adults' capacity to uh, be relevant and add positively to society. Uh, this ties, of course, very largely to my great interest in the area of public health, where I also, I think, have made some important contributions. So, yeah, you have quite a unique history, having begun as a hospital administrator, evolved into a global health uh, uh, expert, and then moving into through global health into uh, higher education, and ultimately becoming president of Vassar College. There are a lot of different issues um, that you have uh, mentioned uh, as you've risen to become president of Vassar that are important to you. Would you speak about some of your top priorities for the school and how you would like to make higher education uh, more accessible, uh, in particular, to, various, to a diversity of students? I think some of the priorities that I have really relate to how we create higher education that is truly inclusive. Um, of course, making the um, accessibility, being sure that you have a very diverse student body is absolutely critical, no question about it. And I'm so proud of Vassar over the last decade um, under the uh, leadership of Kathy Hill. It really diversified. We have a wonderfully um, sort of broad population now vis-a-vis income, religion, race, ethnicity, geography, globally. Uh, really, just such an exciting campus of 
diverse ideas and diverse backgrounds. Um, and I think what the next bit of work that really has to be done is truly making it an inclusive culture, an inclusive environment where that diversity leads to stronger academic programming, stronger social development, stronger character development. If we can do this right, the relevance of higher education really comes into clear view. I mean, I think one of the biggest issues we're dealing with in the United States and globally is how do we manage in an increasingly diverse and divisive world? Clearly being able to be educated strongly with an open mind, freedom of speech, social inclusion, respect for community and other is fundamental to creating the kind of young adults we need who will be able to lead in this new world. So what does an inclusive environment look like? How do you go about creating a more inclusive community on a college campus? I mean, first, what it looks like and what it feels like. To, you know you're on an inclusive campus when you see people who have really different opinions and really different histories about things Standing up for what they believe, not feeling like they're shut down, but rather standing up, even if they're a minority opinion about something, standing up for what they believe and being able to listen to something the opposite of what they believe. Listen to understand. Not listen to argue, but listen to understand. I hear all the time from students when they are in that kind of an environment, that's when minds change, that's when... Uh, views open up, that's when synergies and potentials that maybe weren't seen on one side or the other come into view, and that's an inclusive campus. In early 21st century America in 2018, in fact, it, it, if you were to look at the headlines in many of the newspapers, you, you would be forgiven if you came to the conclusion that not many Americans do listen to understand, but in fact, many Americans are shouting past each other What's the role of a higher education institution like Vassar in shaping a national narrative and producing individuals who will go on to become leaders in society? I think one of the critical roles that higher education really can take is developing among young adults a sense of security and trust that if they just listen and they just take a moment to breathe, they will be better off and together they will be able to accomplish more. And to take this out of politics for a minute, think about a scientist working with an artist. You know, each can be in their own silo, and they're kind of happy they're doing their own thing. But imagine you put these together, and suddenly we're asking questions, not just what is the next great scientific question to answer, but also why, and how could we make life better through the answer of that. That's a way in which bringing together the arts and science is a pluralistic approach to opening a new channel and innovating the way America so often has in the past. So if we can build the capacity of our young adults to be able to really understand that benefit, when they go out to live in their communities, they will recreate that kind of um, approach and habit and maybe turn back where we've gotten in the last few years, maybe start to question whether that divisiveness is actually helping anybody. I believe it can really change. There's a greater emphasis on STEM in higher education 
Uh, and Vassar, STEM, for our listeners who don't know, is science, technology, education, and mathematics. Uh, and this, the emphasis on STEM education has even manifested itself in Vassar in the construction of a new bridge building, which is literally a bridge upon which classrooms have been constructed to focus on the sciences. Uh, Elizabeth, would you speak for a moment about how the presence, the investment that Vassar has made in STEM is leading to more interdisciplinary work, where you mentioned scientists are working with artists, and what the results have been, uh, although preliminary, uh, in, uh, what results have been in the last few years. Mm-hmm. Yes, our bridge building and science uh, programming is very robust now. Um, one of the fascinating things about the bridge building itself is it itself is interdisciplinary. Um, so it is absolutely collaborative between chemistry, physics, biology, astronomy, um, you know, these um, cognitive science. It's just a robust place across the sciences to begin with. And it's also laid out in a way that um, has laboratories right next to classrooms, right next to professors' offices. So it makes really a beehive of activity uh, where undergraduates are, from my experience, really able to be doing doctoral-level primary research with faculty as colleagues. Now, that's just an enormous, I think, accomplishment on a liberal arts campus like Vassar's. But our vision and our aspiration is to take this a step further to where we are, as you just said, having the humanities, which may be the arts or English or history or anthropology, the social sciences and humanities, really working together with these scientists to try to address pressing global problems and think how to address pressing global problems. One of the specific accomplishments and manifestations of this vision um, is a new uh, project that we have with the Howard Hughes Medical Institute called the Grand Challenges. And we are on a five-year program to develop a set of classes that take on each year a different grand challenge. And we may begin with climate uh, sustainability and environmental change. We may take on public health and food insecurity. And these courses are co-taught by people in different disciplines across humanities and science and social science. And the development of the courses are engaging students that really have expertise across these different uh, specialties. They're not meant to be just for people who are majoring in a science, but rather interdisciplinary seminar-like classes. I think this program really has the possibility of demonstrating a new way to learn science, be relevant, and um, do it in a way that is humane. So pivoting our topic a little bit back to you, uh, on the topic of interdisciplinary uh, education, you yourself are quite interdisciplinary, having a background in health administration, public health, and then now being the president of a, uh, an elite liberal arts college in the Northeast. Would you, I'd like to transition to uh, some discussion about how your interdisciplinary background, how your experience uh, working in Africa, developing Ethiopian hospital systems, to uh, to your public health and instructional work at Yale. I'd like to ask how that work uh, is inf- how that experience is influencing uh, your perspective as the president of Vassar, and 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 I guess kind of delve a little bit into your your public health background. Sure. Well, I think my love of interdisciplinary and multidisciplinary 
um, work really goes back to my own college education, um, which was at Harvard, and I feel like I took lots of science, I took lots of humanities, um, you know, really studied art history very carefully, um, and also economics. So I think from an early time, um, I was much more interested in any kind of problem that needs to be, you know, thought through a bit. And whatever discipline you're going to take it from, you are going to have some insight. Um, I do think that 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 love of learning and curiosity starts early in people's lives and is exactly the kind of curiosity um, and learning we're trying to foster um, here at Vassar. My career work in the area of research and practice in public health and, as you said, across many geographies, I think has really taught me uh, that you just can't take on and solve or even start to address important pressing problems unless you are willing to lay down the traditional way to look at something and try to collaborate with people who come from completely different backgrounds and have new information to bring to the table. I saw this particularly in Ethiopia where the problem solving is so interesting there. You know, it's very common culturally to work in a group, whereas I think culturally in America it's often common to reward individualism. It's more in the rewards of community work um, and collaboration across community in Ethiopia. And I really learned we're going to do a lot better at having this hospital work with the community-based efforts and workers if we get everybody at the table from the beginning and ensure that every voice can speak up. You know, it's one thing to get people at the table. It's another thing to ensure that the lower power people or the lower hierarchically place people at the table are able to really speak and feel empowered. I saw transformation from those kinds of processes, and um, I think it it really motivates you. Well, it worked last time that way. Let's do it again. But it's fun because you learn new ways of thinking, new ways of being, um, and the compassion that emerges in one when you truly inhabit someone else's perspective for a while. Uh, make such a difference. I do believe that public health, medicine and public health, have this wonderful value system where no matter who it is who is ill, you are going to try to use your best practice with them. And I would love to see higher education take on that value. No matter who it is that's asking for education, who is looking thirsty for new knowledge, and no matter what their political views are, we're here to work together and think, gee, how could we make our work together more relevant and more beneficial for society? And I think that's really a wonderful, again, inclusive value that comes from my training, but I've seen the fruits of working in that way. So you've spoken about creating a more inclusive community and a more diverse community and the benefits of having a diversity of thought uh, and experience both in reference to interdisciplinary work, having yourself come from art history and healthcare and now in academic uh, administration to uh, the different perspectives that Ethiopians uh, have brought to their more group-centered mentality versus the American individual-centered work ethic. And, of course, I'd like to uh, reflect on some extent of the legacy you inherited of Vassar's being one of the first need-blind admissions schools, um, especially within the context of uh, the tuition 
uh, agreement board for students uh, at higher education institutions has doubled or tripled in the last few decades. Uh, and when you talk about access to higher education uh, and you talk about creating a more diverse community um, and, uh, and a more inclusive community, you also need to think about kind of the financial barriers to creating that community. I'd like to ask you now to reflect upon the, uh, the astronomical uh, rate of increase of, uh, of tuition at vassar and comparable institutions around the nation uh, compared to just general inflation or uh, increase in prices of other products around the market. Are students, how do you, how do you argue that, that the liberal arts education is giving a high value proposition and how do you make such an education in such an inclusive, diverse environment accessible to individuals in light of the increasing cost of higher education? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. These are all incredibly important questions. I'll start with, I think the commitment to a economically diverse student body is fundamental. Uh, you know, it is really something that helps our country, helps our college, I think helps every single student who goes through Vassar. So that is a very, very deep commitment. And I would say that it is more than a commitment to um, financial aid for tuition only. It's also a commitment to truly endorse, embrace people who are first-generation, low-income, who um, or low-income generally, who have needs once they get here. You know, there we have built a very robust foundations and transitions program for students who come from places that maybe didn't prepare them as well. So there's a lot more than just the financial aid. There's also once they're here, being sure that in fact they can thrive and they feel like they belong and they're able to take advantage of every single educational offering we have. So um, I think it's really the whole package that's important that makes for not just diverse but an inclusive environment. Now, your question of, well, how do we sustain that uh, is such a good one because, as you said, the cost of delivering this kind of exceptionally high-quality residential and inclusive uh, program is absolutely expensive and we cannot have our heads in the sand about this. We, I believe, need to be investigating constantly are there more efficient ways to do this where one doesn't lose the root values of what is so important Um, and we have to be thinking all the time are we maximizing the philanthropy because there is a lot of philanthropy in the country that is purposely designed to help people who don't have as many resources access um, education, which is a wonderful use of philanthropy. Um, and I think that we also have to be realistic about what the private liberal arts colleges roles are and what our robust public education roles are. And if we look over, you know, the last several decades, in addition to increasing costs of higher education, there's been dwindling federal and state level support for public education at the high school level and at the college level. So this all works together to make a lot of pressure in the system and how we are really going to, as a country, come to terms with uh, making accessible to our full country the highest quality higher education, that is a 21st century pressing problem for our country and I'm eager to be part of it. I think we have to look at our model. We have to be open to change, and I also think we have to be very clear about the actual 
what we get from this kind of um, inclusive higher education um, residential model. One piece of that that I believe is uh, critical is that our career development is strong, that we put lots of resources in that. Um, you know, nearly 94% of our students have very gainful either employment, graduate school, uh, competitive fellowships within six months of graduation. That's something we're proud of. I think liberal arts education is about leading a meaningful life also. So many people you talk with, you look back and you say, well, what do you think? That was very expensive. And they say, yes, but it changed my entire life. I don't know. Can you put a price on that? Hard. So we've spent some time looking forward at some of the challenges and how we're going to address it. I'd like to, as we approach the end of this podcast episode, reflect upon what what backwards and then also look forwards again in terms of your legacy. I'd like to ask you for a moment to uh, reflect on uh, what it is, on, on the motivations, what it is that has motivated you to uh, move into higher education and, and, and pursue these goals of creating more inclusive and diverse communities, and then what you hope at the end of your career uh, will be your legacy. What will you have accomplished uh, once you've been able to uh, spend time uh, dedicated towards these, these ambitions? So I'd like to ask you to reflect on your motivation and your legacy. When I was first approached about the Vassar presidency, I wasn't at all sure that I really would ever leave Yale. I felt that I was in a wonderful academic environment, which I was, and had a real capacity to do research and practice and was leading our Global Health Leadership Institute, I think, successfully, um, and Branford College. I was the head of college, so I was very content. But I will say as the year um, that when I was recruited went on, and one could see the increasing divisiveness of our country and the increasing authoritarianism across the globe, I started to really feel like I have leadership skills. I'm interested in good, just governance. I ought to use these skills. And I ought to use these skills in an institution that matters. You know, and I had been in hospitals, and they matter a lot, but I'd already done that kind of work, and I I wasn't really prepared to go back into that field. I think media is incredibly important, but I don't have the background in it. I law, but I'm not a lawyer. But education, what an important institution. And I thought, that's where you actually have the background and the skills and the passion. You ought to use these. And I have been, and this perhaps ties to my what I hope will be uh, something that I'm able to pass on to the next president of Vassar is a college that stands up for the liberal arts, that is able to promote the relevance and positive influence of liberal arts education in the country, that has been responsible with our resources and stewarded them well, and has maintained our ability to really give that kind of access to a very diverse group of young adults. Uh, and I think if we can have that kind of influence here and really um, take a leadership role in promoting the liberal arts in our country and globally, I'll be very happy with what I've been able to do. And this has been Elizabeth Bradley, the president of Vassar College, the founder of the Yale Global Health Leadership Institute, the author of many books and papers, and a member of the National Academy of Medicine who speaks about uh, working to make sure that liberal arts remains a relevant and high-value uh, 
highly valued in American societies. He speaks about creating more inclusive and interdisciplinary communities that are diverse and promote a love of learning. She thinks, uh, speaks about her philosophy of promoting a um, uh, listening to understand, an environment where individuals learn to listen, hear, and actually analytically respond to what each other is saying instead of just uh, talking past each other. She speaks about being more inclusive and creating uh, an economically diverse student body uh, and, and using the skills that she has to give back to her community by working in an institution that matters uh, and ultimately that will lead to a more meaningful life not only for her but for all the students who pass through the doors of her institution. Uh, Elizabeth, I'd like to thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Jordan. This has been another episode of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. I'll remind you to subscribe on publicinterestpodcast.com, iTunes, or your favorite podcast listening platform. And please join the conversation by calling 240-630-0380 or emailing engage at publicinterestpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.